Thank you, Maddie. Uh, and good morning, everyone. Good morning, family. And good morning to those of you who are joining us from around the place. Um, so we're starting a new teaching series this morning. And so we're going to be in the book of Jeremiah for the next five weeks, um, looking at different themes. So Jeremiah, as Carl mentioned, sometimes known as the weeping prophet, because he was called by God to be a prophet in a really difficult time, in a really dark time, when the people of God went through the exile. So their city was destroyed, they lost uh, their home and many of their family members, and those who were left were carried off into exile into Babylon. If you know the famous Psalm 137, which starts by the rivers of Babylon, we lay down and wept. That comes from this time where they cried out to God, um, because it felt like the whole world had changed. It felt like everything that they knew and had put their trust in had been shattered. And they cried out with questions to ask God, where are you? How long will this last? Why did you let this happen? Uh, and so it seems like an, an interesting uh, book for us to be sitting in over the next few weeks. But it's not all doom and gloom. Um, we've called this series Restoring the Darkness because that's what prophets do. That's what Jeremiah was able to do. And the other prophets of God in this time, was able, they were able to step into the darkness and acknowledge the difficulties and the tensions and the questions people had. But they were able to bring God's perspective and to reframe the way that people were understanding and seeing and responding to what was happening around them. In the end, the prophets are actually poets. I don't know what your image of a prophet is. I think sometimes people think of prophets as very finger-wagging, judgy. And certainly they do proclaim God's justice into their situation. But at their heart, the prophets are poets and they paint pictures with their words that inspire imagination and restory the situation so that people can see it and respond to it in new ways. Um, there's a great Australian prophet, um, a prophet, sorry, poet, not prophet. <laughs> you might be a prophet as well, but a poet um, who's worked for World Vision called Joe Mac Joel McCarrow, who some of you might have heard before. And he's a really big guy. He's got long red dreadlocks. And I remember the first time I heard him do his poetry live, I thought that's what the prophets would have sounded like. That's what Jeremiah would have sounded like. They were able to speak words that connected with people's hearts and people's emotions and people's imagination and really enabled us to see things differently. And I've been really intrigued by this idea of poetry uh, in a really difficult season um, and how poetry and beauty and things like that are really helpful in restoring darkness. Just a couple of weeks ago, um, as this whole kind of isolation started, I came across this idea of a book spine poem. Some of you might've seen this on social media, where you basically look at the books on your bookshelf and you stack them up and you form a poem from the titles of the different books. And I had a lot of fun one afternoon going through my bookshelf, because I have a lot of books, uh, and making up a poem. But I also found it quite moving to try and express through those poetic words my sense of what was going on and the way that I wanted to respond to it. And so we hope that looking at Jeremiah over the next few weeks will help us restory what is going on for us. We're not saying that we live in the same situation as Jeremiah. Of course, things are quite different, but God's word speaks into all times and all places and God hasn't changed. So the ways in which Jeremiah sought to restory his darkness, we think will help us restory what is happening and hear God's perspective on our own situation. Jeremiah's words have resounded in numerous times throughout history. And so our question is, what do they have to say to us today? Now, if you have 
uh, ever read Jeremiah or if you haven't and you want to have a go at reading it over the next few weeks, you'll find that it's quite a chaotic book. It's not the easiest book uh, to read, as Carl mentioned, uh, because Jeremiah is not written in a straightforward chronological, linear, you know, easy to follow format. In fact, there are slightly different versions of Jeremiah in a couple of the ancient translations, because what we get in Jeremiah is a collection of Jeremiah's poems, his sermons, his prophecies, his prayers, his letters, his declarations, kind of all found in this one book, all the different ways that Jeremiah spoke to God, to the people, to himself, to the world around him as he sought to restory the darkness. And I like that idea that in a challenging situation, our thoughts might be a bit chaotic and there might be very many different ways of speaking. But there are these themes that we see recurring throughout the book of Jeremiah. And that's what we want to hone in over the next few weeks is five key themes in Jeremiah. We're going to start today with lament And then we're going to move next week to the idea of confession and then to providence, to peace and to hope as we see these these different um, themes and in Richmond language, I would say these different practices, five different practices that Jeremiah invites us into that help us respond to and restory what is going on in our world and how we might best respond to it. So we're starting today with lament, and this is not new to us at Richmond. If you've been around for a while, we've spent some time in the Psalms over the last few years, which includes a lot of lament. And just last year, in the the middle of winter last year, we did a whole series on lament from the book of Psalms. And we looked at the Psalms of doubt uh, and of sadness uh, and of loneliness and of anger uh, and all these emotional Psalms that are at their heart laments. But if you're not familiar with the laments, it's worth noting that the biblical word lament isn't maybe how we use it every day. So you might hear someone say, I'm just lamenting my situation. And it can kind of sound like we're wallowing or we're just saying, poor me, woe is me. And there's an aspect of that in the Bible. But lament is much richer and deeper, both in the Psalms and as we'll see throughout Jeremiah. Yes, it includes being really honest and naming our emotions, our experience, our questions, our doubts, our fears, all of those things. But the idea of lament is that it is a bold act of faith because we're taking all those things and we're bringing them to God in prayer. Lament suggests that there is nothing that is out of bounds when it comes to talking to God. There is nothing that you can't share with God. There is no prayer that God is not willing to hear. There is no question you can't ask him. There is no emotion you can't express to him. He will hear and he will respond. Lament also challenges our view of prayer. If you have a very simple view of prayer or maybe a worldly view of prayer that says, you know, we're trying to just punch in the right words, get the formula right, and then we'll get what we want from God as if God is some kind of magic genie or slot machine in the sky, then the laments will challenge and convict that understanding of prayer because they suggest that prayer isn't simply about us asking God for stuff, but it is about us being honest with God and letting God uh, in to the deepest parts of what's going on inside us and God meeting us there. Prayer is relational as God seeks to meet with us where we are at and prayer is transformative. It's powerful because God responds, but it also changes us. In fact, sometimes I wonder whether prayer changes me even more than it it, uh, impacts God. It is for my benefit and my blessing as well. 
And so when we come to look at lament, there are so many laments throughout the book of Jeremiah that we could have chosen. There's heaps of them. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet or perhaps more correctly, the lamenting prophet, because he sees what is going on in his situation and he responds with these deep cries of honest emotion, of genuine naming of the distress and the experience his people find them in, themselves in and an act of faith of bringing that to God and asking God to respond and to show up and to meet them and to encounter them in the midst of their darkness. But I chose Jeremiah 8, just those five verses that Carl read to us, because I think they're a really good overview or representation of the kind of things we hear again and again and again in the laments of the book of Jeremiah. So if you've still got a Bible in front of you, I want to just quickly look through those verses and see what it is that Jeremiah is actually doing here. And now I recognize that the power and the beauty of these words is actually in their poetry and their imagination and their emotion and the way they connect with us and the way that Carl read them. And now we're kind of pulling them apart and analyzing them. But hopefully that will help us to then go back to the power and impact of what they are saying. So in Jeremiah 8 verse 18, um, Jeremiah cries out to God and he calls God comforter in sorrow. And I think that's at the heart of the laments is a trust in who God is, that God isn't distant and God isn't unconcerned, but that God actually wants to comfort us, to meet with us, to respond to our sorrow. If we had a God who just kind of created the world and then said, you're on your own, guys, then there would be no need to lament, but actually no basis upon which we could lament. But the Bible reveals to us a God whose heart is for us and a God who is with his people. And so Jeremiah can come in faith and say, comfort in sorrow. I trust you. I pray to you because this is who I believe you to be. And then he launches straight into how he feels. My heart is faint within me. This is really common in the laments and across Jeremiah where he honestly names what's going on inside. He takes the time to stop and pay attention to the depths of his being and say, this is what's really going on. I don't know about you, but I've had cause to do that over the last few weeks to say, what am I actually feeling? What, why am I responding the way I am? What is going on inside me in this situation? And can I name it? And can I name it to God and let him in? Not because God doesn't know, but because that allows him to meet me there and to do his work. In verse 19, Jeremiah then names some of the questions that the people are asking during this time. Is God no longer with us? Is God no longer king? And these were the genuine questions of the exile. It seemed to them that they had been defeated by an enemy more powerful, Babylon. And in their culture in their day, that raised the question, is Babylon's God more powerful than our God? Has Babylon's God defeated our God? God, are we even still your people? Now, I don't know if those are the same questions that we've been asking or you've been asking or people in our world are asking at the moment. But I think it resonates that when everything in the world changes, and it's not what we thought it would be, and we see distress and death and disease, we cry out to God and say, what's going on? Where are you in this? And the laments give us permission to ask those kind of questions and know that God is willing for us to come to him with them and to even come to him with our anger and our confusion and our fear and our doubt, and that God will hold that 
and meet us in response. Interestingly, in the second half of verse 19, Jeremiah's response, or God's response really, is that the people of Jeremiah's day have been putting their trust in other gods. They have been worshipping idols and worshipping other gods, but also in Jeremiah's day, they've been trusting in the externals of their faith and their religion. So earlier in Jeremiah, just in chapter 7, he preaches this great sermon about how they've been putting their trust in the temple, which is the symbol and the place they go to worship God, rather than in the God who himself dwells in that temple. And so he is challenging them and, and convicting them that they have put their trust and their hope in places that it does not belong, in things that might look strong and solid, like this massive temple that everyone thought would last forever, but is actually quite fragile and now has been destroyed and razed to the ground. Now, as I said, we're not in the same situation as Jeremiah, but it's an interesting question to ask. Have we been putting our hope and our trust in things that look strong and solid, like our economy? Uh, like our health even, like our ability to freely travel the world and experience things. And actually those things are much more fragile than we had realised. That doesn't mean they're not good things, they're not that things we're longing to get back to, but it maybe suggests to us that they're not where we need to put our ultimate hope and trust. And lament causes us to come back and say, where is there that I can actually look to for sure, solid, secure hope? What can I put my trust in? Who can I put my trust in? In verse 20, we see that the people's darkness has not ended. Even when they thought the harvest and the summer would come and things would get better, it didn't get better. Now, I hope that's not a prophetic word for us. And I hope that, that this season isn't longer than we expect it to be. But again, the honesty of living in dark times and not knowing when the light is coming is the great place for lament and for prophets like Jeremiah to say, where is the hope and the light that you can find, not at the end of the tunnel, not in coming out of this situation, but in the midst of it, because God is still here and he is still God and he will meet us where we are. And then I love these last couple of verses of chapter eight, because you get a picture of Jeremiah and as God's prophet, really it's a picture of God weeping with his people, mourning with those who are mourning. Jeremiah cries with the people who are crying and mourns with the people who are mourning from the depths of his being because God cries with people who are crying and mourns with people who are mourning. The basis of lament is not looking to a God who will wave a magic wand and fix the situation that we find ourselves in. The story of the Bible is a story of a God who enters into our brokenness and our suffering, our mourning and our lament, and who meets us there. We have just celebrated Easter two weeks ago, and that is the story of the cross. Jesus comes and takes upon himself all of our brokenness, all of our sin, all of our suffering, all of the darkness and despair. He carries it upon himself. And he meets us in the darkness. The answer to the questions of humanity are not found at the end of the story, as if we have to wait until one day things will get better, but are found in God himself, himself who enters in and meets us there. 
And so you get this beautiful image in the beginning of chapter nine of the depth of Jeremiah's emotion where he says, I wish my whole head was like a fountain, a spring, because that's how many tears I want to cry with you. I want to sit with you in the darkness and lament and cry out to God with you. And this is a really important part of lamenting, taking the time to honestly express our sorrow and our distress, not because we want to wallow in it, but because we want to name it and own it and allow God to help to enter in and respond to it. And it's very difficult for that to happen if we pretend that there is no darkness, if we don't name our actual experiences of sorrow that are causing us to lament our questions about where we find God in the midst of it. But there is an affirmation of who God is and that God enters into the suffering, mourns with his people and longs for their restoration. And so as we've seen over the last few years at Richmond, lament is about taking the time to name the difficulties we are experiencing and to name the emotions, to look deep within ourselves and be honest with God and with one another. There's a public dimension to lament, to say it's okay to give each other permission, to be sad, to be disappointed, to be missing the things that we have lost. Because this is an act of bold faith that we declare that God, the creator of the universe, comes and sits with us in our lament and meets us in our darkness. And lament is a practice, not only that we can experience and enjoy and learn from and grow from ourselves. I think lament is a practice that we are invited to share with our neighbours and with our world. We have an amazing opportunity, if you like, at the moment, because our whole world is in a place where we need to lament, where there are things that we feel deeply within us. The world seems to have changed. People are missing. People are longing. People are hurting. And it's, it's not a competition. There are some people who have lost everything and who are fearing, you know, great and horrific and terrible things that may come. And there are others who are missing out on what they expected this year to look like or just the connections with the people that they haven't been able to see. And it doesn't matter with our, whether our laments are huge or small or are things right now or of things that we were hoping for in the future. We can invite one another to say it's okay to be honest, to name the truth of our situation and to sit with one another in that place of darkness and somehow in doing so to sit with the God who sits with us there. And so I wonder what it would look like for us as friends and neighbours in our community to say to those when people went around us, it's okay to name what you're missing out on. It's okay to name the sadness that you're feeling. I'm not here to try and give you an answer or to try and fix it for you. I'm going to sit with you in it to just say, yeah, this is really tough and I'm here with you and I'm going to weep with you when you're weeping. I'm going to mourn with you when you're mourning and hopefully I'm going to point you towards a God who does the same. So we wanted to finish this morning um, with a bit of a practice of lament. Now, it's just something we're going to do together here, but maybe it's something that will encourage us to consider how we can take this practice into our week and how we can find ways to keep inviting our neighbours and our friends uh, into the beauty of this practice of lament. But we're going to do something that we did uh, a couple of weeks ago. We used a word cloud 
Uh, and today's Word Cloud, we're going to invite you all. Uh, so you need to have your device. It can be the computer that you're watching Zoom on, but it can also be your phone or a separate device. And we're going to invite you um, to, to create together our shared lament. So let me just share with you. Oh gosh. Okay. So you should see at the top of the screen there uh, a website to go to, which is www.menti.com and a code to put in. And you'll see that, that you can actually say up to eight different things. Now I'm gonna give you a, a quick uh, tutorial. Don't hit enter too quickly. You need to tab or move your mouse down to the next one. As soon as you hit enter, it will submit your results. But I really want to encourage you to take a couple of minutes and to name the things that you are lamenting, the things that you are missing out on, the things that you are sad about, the experiences and the emotions that are going on for you in this season. And then we'll see a picture together uh, and create our shared lament. And Elliot is going to uh, bring that together in a prayer. And we're going to end with a prayer of lament together this morning. <clears throat> 